The following is a production of JSC Media. Stay, Stay ready. ready. You're listening to the People's Podcast. I was honest. Was I brutally honest? Yes. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that that's the problem. Everybody's so scared to be honest with one another. This is JSC Radio. Who's to say that that couldn't have been me? Um, my mom was pregnant when she when she came over. What if what if she'd gone into labor as she was coming um, to the United States? You know, albeit things were a little bit different 30 years ago in terms of crossing. There were people that were crossing that way, but but a lot of times it it wasn't as dramatized right now because there are so many restrictions. But I just, you know, I, I think about these images, these children that are kept in these holding cells. A lot of people describe them as cages. It's been difficult to see your your people um, like that and and you know you mentioned somewhat the parallels to the black community a black person is constantly seeing their people being brutalized so i think same thing brown people we're seeing our people brutalized and um and it's just it's hard you're listening to the people's podcast this is j s c radio ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages hey now my name is jay scott smith and this is the 114th episode of the people's podcast this is jay s c radio better known as jay scott confidential coming to you not from my bathroom but from the JSC Radio Studio slash office. The main thing is I'm not sitting on my toilet doing this thing right now. How the hell is everyone doing? Welcome once again, my friends, to the podcast that never ends, but occasionally will take a hiatus, but will always keep it 100% real with you. I want to thank each and every one of you who supported every episode of this show, including the special ones, including the last one that you heard from two weeks ago. And boy, has a lot happened. Since that podcast dropped, I want to thank you for listening on all the different podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, on SoundCloud and Stitcher, on Overcast and TuneIn, on CastBox and Google Play. I mean, there's so many of them. CastBox, Google Podcasts, AudioBoom, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and of course, to those of you listening on Spotify and everywhere else you find podcasts, put J. Scott Confidential in and you'll see the iconic logo pop up with this show there. I want to shout out my man Doc Illingsworth, of course. Big up to my man Doc Illingsworth back in the Motor City. Shout out to the homie Awesome Jones. Awesome Jones, who does the theme for this show. It's called Blue Chucks. Well, guess what? This dude actually has a new EP out. It's available on Spotify. It's available on Apple Music, iTunes. It's also everywhere else you find music. It's called Synthetic Sounds, Volume 1. It's an EP. It's two tracks, and it's two tracks that are better than just about anything you've heard in a long time. You're going to hear one of them later on here in this podcast. I want to shout out once again everybody who supports this show. I've gotten a lot of reviews and a lot of feedback on Minnesota Wild, the last episode, the special episode from uh, two weeks ago, and that was me speaking from the heart. I was so emotional and so agitated that I accidentally referred to George Floyd as George Lloyd. And please understand, that's a mistake I did not make intentionally. That's nothing I did on purpose. 
I was so, still am, so emotional about that whole thing that I I admittedly had a very bad slip of the tongue, called him George Lloyd a couple of times after calling him Floyd the rest of the time. So trust me on that. That was a total error on my part. Will not happen again. Rest in peace to George Floyd. I want to thank all of you who support me on social media. I'm on Twitter at J. Scott Smith, J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H. Same thing goes on Instagram. I am Real J. Scott Smith on Facebook. And, of course, you can follow this show on social media everywhere you look. It's at JSC Radio. And, of course, you can also check out videos on the YouTube page, that would be bit.ly slash JSCTube. And as you hear this podcast, a video, part of the interview that I did with this week's guest, is actually on the YouTube page, and it's also on on both Instagram feeds on IGTV. So uh, before I get into that, do you believe us now? You willing to listen? You willing to hear us out? Because it's funny. How quickly things change. Two weeks ago, a little more than two weeks ago. No, it was was just about two weeks ago. It was the Thursday after Memorial Day because uh, George Floyd was killed on Memorial Day. It was Thursday after Memorial Day, and I dropped that podcast, and later that evening, all hell broke loose in Minneapolis. Do you hear us now? Do you hear us? And when I say us, I mean black people people in this country no disrespect to brown people my guest lovely brown woman one of the sweetest she's one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet but she's got a story too but i'm not disrespecting brown people i'm not disrespecting asians absolutely not but being black in america it's not fun and people are starting to see that i'm not somebody who's gung-ho about rioting i'm not Because I've seen what that can do to a city. I grew up in a city that still hasn't fully recovered from the 1967 riots. So I'm always a little, huh, about that sort of thing. But I also understand it. And I was on air two days later, both days, when all hell broke loose in Philadelphia. Following what started as a peaceful protest... And then went way left really fast. You hear them? You hear those people calling? You hear those people coming? That's what happens. It's been around the country. Been around the world. There have been numerous protests. Peaceful and not so peaceful. And the thing about dealing with race in America. And I talked about it a lot in that last episode I did. Is that. So much of this anger, so much of this rage has been boiling to the surface. Every few years, like every quarter century or so, black people get fed the f*** up. And things like this happen. It doesn't just happen because of the major issues, the major killings, the major beatings, the Malice Greens and Rodney Kings and George Floyds and Trayvon Martins the Breonna Taylors and Ahmaud Arbery's of the world, the Jerry and Blake's and Ayanna Jones's of the world. I can go on. The Philando Castile's of the world. We can keep going. It's not just those. I mentioned it in the last episode. It's the microaggressions. It's the little shit. 
It's the little things that just bubble this to the surface. The microaggressions you deal with on a daily basis as a black man in this country or as a black woman in this country. I can't fully speak for what black women go through because I'm not a black woman. But you'd be a damn fool to say that you don't understand it, that they don't go through it too. Theirs is just slightly different. But we go through these wonderful things called microaggressions in our daily lives. It doesn't always have to be. Back. Most racism is not overt. Most racism is very underlying. It's not cutting your head off. It's a death by a thousand cuts. And after about cut number three, 376, 377, people start to get pretty fed up. Everybody who works in a place deals with microaggressions, deals with little shit, being undermined, being dismissed, being disrespected openly by someone who don't look like you. And they're able to get away with it. They're able to cook. Because if you get upset, you're the bad guy. You're angry. You're, you're too sensitive. You're the real racist. And after a while, that sort of thing starts to mount up. It's like a pressure cooker. It's like putting the lid on top of a pot while you're boiling water. At a certain point, the pressure in that thing's going to build. And it's going to go boom. Pressure bust pipes. And the pipe burst in the last two weeks. When it comes to race relations in this country, I've been alive 40 years. I've been through a lot of shit. I've put up with a lot of things. I've dealt with microaggressions and macroaggressions. I have been told that I stole someone's job day one. I'll say it. Screw it. Day one in Asbury at the Asbury Park Press. A white woman looked me dead in the eye and said, so this is the guy who stole this reporter's job. Way to make me feel welcome. I hadn't been in that building 10 minutes, and I knew what the score was. I've been cast as angry and mean and hard to work with. That's a good one. Aggressive is a good one. The fun part is, is that I'm none of those things, but those are all microaggressions. And some people don't understand how racist that is. I have white friends. You know, I sound like those races like, you know, I've got a black friend. I've got white friends. I've got Asian friends. I've got Latino friends. We all understand racism. But those of you who don't, if you make a genuine effort, if you make an honest, good faith effort to understand racism, and there are people who are willing to do that, I'll be able, or I should say, I'll be happy to help you. I'm not here to teach you, but I'll help you once. I'm going to help you ass once, and that's it. You got one time because I feel that there does need to be a dialogue and there does need to be an understanding because occasionally people don't get it and they do mean well and they just say something stupid and don't realize it. But in a lot of these cases, some of these people are just holes and that point needs to be made as well. That point needs to be put out and made abundantly clear because we don't have time to deal with that. And as you have noticed in the last few weeks, we ain't got much patience. Even those of us who have patience ain't got patience. One last thing. So a lot of the youngsters 
Y'all mean well, the Gen Zs, the young millennials. Y'all mean well. Y'all been out here protesting, putting the work in, and I respect that. I can't do it for multiple reasons, one of which being COVID, another being can't because of my job. I was actually on air broadcasting during this whole thing in Philadelphia. A lot of the young millennials and Gen Zers have taken to saying, we are not our ancestors. We are not our ancestors. You can get these hands. We are not our ancestors. Stop saying that shit. Full stop. No jokes. No funny haha. Cut that shit out. It's disrespectful and it's stupid. My grandfather, Ezra Nelson, has long passed away. He was born in rural Alabama in the early part of the 20th century. His grandparents were slaves. We say that again. My granddaddy's granddaddy was a slave. You ain't got to draw that long of a line for me back to the plantation. My grandfather, as I am often told, was not one to take a lot of shit off of anybody. Including one night at a gas station where a racist gas attendant saw him pumping his gas and putting some air in his tire. And he walks over to my grandfather and says, hurry up, boy. Mind you, this dude was a teenager. My granddad was a grown-ass man. Hurry up, boy. My grandfather ignores him. I get this story from my mom, and I also got the story from my late aunt who passed away. But they were in the car at the time. And about the third time he says it, he reaches over, puts his foot on my grandfather, and tries to push him along. And my granddaddy gets up, shoves him, gets right in his face, and says, the next time you put your foot on me will be the last time your foot touches anything. I don't give a damn who you are. Don't let the notion that elder black folks lived in Jim Crow much tougher times than what we're dealing with now, even though it ain't too cool right now. That lived through Jim Crow, that lived through segregation, that lived through de jure segregation. Go ahead and Google that. That's your Google term for the week. De jure segregation. Who lived in that time period. If you dare to fix your face to say that those people were weak or were cowardly or they didn't fight back. This is coming from a generation where the second they don't get what they want, they stomp off and stay home and don't vote and don't participate and complain and whine. You're right. You're not our ancestors. Our ancestors had a set of balls on them. Our ancestors knew how to take L's and then keep fighting. Don't disrespect those who came before us because without them, you ain't here, I ain't here, and the people who came before me aren't either. That just bothers me, and I wanted to get that out there. You ain't our ancestors. Maybe you need to get a little bit more like them, though. I got a great guest coming up. Her name is Leslie Rangel. I need to take a second to breathe. I need to get back into my yoga. I need to find ways to kind of calm this down. Leslie Rangel joins us next, coming to us from Austin, Texas. It's a great conversation, a great black and brown conversation, talking about how she is not simply a journalist, but she's also channeling her search for peace into a way to help others find theirs. She's coming up here on the 114th episode of the People's Podcast. This is J. Scott Confidential, better known as J.S.C. Radio. 
We'll be back with Leslie Rangel after this. You're listening to the People's Podcast. I'm not going to be responsible for what happens next. This is JSC Radio. Hey now, J. Scott Smith here. Of course, you know, I am the host of JSC Radio, which you have heard on Stitcher from the very beginning. Because in case a lot of you don't remember, Stitcher was the first major podcast platform to pick up my show. And now they want to give something back to each and every one of you listeners on Stitcher. Introducing Stitcher Premium. You can listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free, mind you, with Stitcher Premium for only $4.99 a month or, if you prefer, $34.99 a year. You can get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and so much more. Listen to shows like the Fantasy Footballers ad-free, or you can get shows like Dunk on Basketball and, of course, JSC Radio. Simply go to Stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today. That's Stitcher.com slash premium premium to sign up today and when you go there drop in the promo code jsc and get you one free month of stitcher premium don't ever say i ain't do nothing for y'all remember it's stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today and get one month free by dropping that promo code jsc it's just that simple baby get on stitcher premium right now and you can get the best in podcasting You're listening to the People's Podcast. You can't say F you to your granddaughter? I just did, Morty. Here's dessert. F*** you. This is J.S.C. Radio. Don't hate the player, hate the game, son. This is the 114th episode of the People's Podcast. This is J. Scott Confidential, better known as J.S.C. Radio. Welcome back. Jay Scott Smith here. Want to welcome all of you back to the show. Thank you so much for all your continued support. Be sure to follow the show on social media at JSC Radio. It's on at JSC Radio on Instagram, at JSC Radio on Twitter, and it's JSC Radio on Facebook. Look for the video of this interview, at least part of it, coming up on the IGTV feeds. And of course, it will also be on YouTube at bit.ly slash JSC Tube. And be sure to check out the Amazon page, amazon.com slash shop slash J. Scott Smith. That will help you build your podcast. The blueprint is coming soon to the JSC Radio YouTube channel. But let's get down to business and let's get to our guest for this week, Miss Leslie Rangel, better known as the News Yogi. Now, she's a co-anchor down in Austin, Texas. She works at Fox 7 Austin, and you can see her every morning on Good Day Austin. This is actually her second stint in the city of Austin, Texas, the capital city of the Lone Star State. She also has previously worked in Oklahoma City as well as in Beaumont, Texas, and she's even been recognized by the Texas Associated Press Broadcasters Association as she was awarded their best reporter in 2017. Leslie is a proud Longhorn, graduate of the University of Texas. I mentioned this is not her first go-round in the city of Austin. She was the first in her family to go to college and graduated from UT with a degree in broadcast journalism as well as another in Spanish language teaching. She's a first-generation immigrant, first-generation American, I should say. She comes from an immigrant family. Her mother came to this country from Mexico. She has two rescue dogs. There are two pugs named Harlow and Hero. Saw one of them 
during the interview here. He's an adorable little dude. And she's also a trauma-informed, 500-hour registered yoga instructor who's fluent in Spanish and loves salsa dancing. And you'll get to know all about that yoga practice, which is what she's using to help other journalists through this incredibly, incredibly stressful time period in all of our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, again, this is the 114th episode of the People's Podcast. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and let's get down to business as we begin our conversation with the wonderful Leslie Rangel. The following is a production of JSC Media. Stay, Stay ready. ready. So good afternoon, Leslie. Joining good us from afternoon. Joining us from Austin, Texas. It's been a um it's been something the last couple of months cuz you're still you're still working from home. Today is actually the first day that I have been in my office in 3 months. So it's a little little different. It's great to be here. Great to talk to you and the first question, the first thing I really want to talk to you about is how you kind of found your piece being a new, as you call yourself, the news yogi. Where did the news yogi come from? How did that inspire you to get going into that? I'm really <laughs> interested in how, as a journalist myself, and in the monologue before this, I've talked about how difficult and kind of stressful these times have been for all journalists, but especially the black and brown journalists around the country. Where did you find the piece to start doing the news yogi thing? Because that is a, that's a lane that not a lot of people go into. So you're, you're really cornering the kind of the market on that. Where did that come from for you? Yeah. So the news yogi itself, as it's known right now, that literally started two to three weeks ago. Um, it's brand new. So brand new, right in the middle of April, May. We're now in June. So I don't know what time <laughs> is clearly right now, um, but it's it's something that's been a part of my life for a while now. I would say uh, six years ago is kind of where the news yogi started her journey, <laughs> so to speak. Um, I knew that I loved news, but I also knew that I was, like you mentioned, facing a lot of mental health issues with news and also, you know, just with People, um, you know, everybody has a backstory and everybody just deals with life in general. So I was dealing with life and news and and knowing how to deal with that. I was also, um, I was a crime reporter. So a lot of the stories I was doing day in and day out were pretty, um, you know, just hard, hard to do. Um, you know, in Austin, I was here. I remember actually doing a story about uh, a black teacher who was very thin, very small, petite, Breon King. I still remember her, and um, and the police brutality she faced when when she when her story came out. And so images like that, and and just dealing with being out on breaking news and having to talk to people literally on their worst days when when they've lost loved ones to murders and um, crime and um, things like that, it was just like, whoa, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this? And how do I deal with the fact that, you know, I'm working with my own uh, set of traumas from, you know, just growing up in life. And so I turned to yoga. I'd, I'd always done, um, I'd, 
started yoga in college and I always did it kind of for the workout for like, you know, I, I love this and it, it makes me feel good. But when I turned to yoga for more than a workout, that's kind of when just life changed for me. Um, it just, yoga has a way of just making you feel that really you're enough and, and really making you look inside and realize that you don't need other things. You need yourself. And, and once you learn about yourself and, and you're able to deconstruct and, and really see, okay, I'm getting angry at things, but what's behind that? Okay, something made me upset at work, but what's behind that? Okay, um, if something made me upset at work, is it because I'm feeling um, like someone is making me feel less? okay, what's behind that? Why am I feeling less? And you just start to chip away at these layers. And it's just, it's amazing how when you really use yoga to get to the heart of why you're feeling the way you're feeling, it's just like, wow, it's just incredible. And, and you, you think about it and you're like, wait, but I thought yoga was about doing like all these crazy poses. <laughs> not, and it's not. And, and I think that's the cool thing. And so um, having seen and, and witnessed that, um, you know, I'd always loved yoga for what it was. And then of course, right now, 2020, this pandemic, um, you know, this uprising in, in demanding for racial justice has just ex- Loaded a lot of things for a lot of people. Um, you know, in the yoga world, we would say it, it's waking people up. It's unveiling everything that's happening. And so I've started, you know, I'm part of Facebook journalism groups, just like I'm sure you are. Oh, absolutely. And a lot probably, of, we're probably in a lot of the same groups. In the same ones. Right yeah. across each other. Yeah. And, and you've seen, I've seen um, people saying, how do I deal with this? I can't sleep. Um, I'm now feeling pains in my body that I've never felt before. Um, I can't unplug. I can't settle down. Uh, I'm having anxiety. What is happening? And, um, and it was just like, it was just like a light bulb. I, I spoke with a friend of mine. Uh, and she said, Leslie, I think, I think now's your time. And I was like, well, you know, I, I don't have a website yet. And, and I just, you know, I don't know, I'm going to wait. And she said, no, now. And it, it was just almost like this permission that I needed. Um, and, and I did it. I literally put together a website in 48 hours. I worked on it all one weekend. My husband was like, are you, are you still going? I was like, yes, my husband's a journalist too. Um, and, and I put it all together and, and it was great because, you know, it was just a matter of taking everything I've already known and just putting it in one place. And, and it's been, it's been really fun. It's, um, you know, I, I'm talking to you now. Um, I have been sending out, um, uh, newsletters, resources for journalists. I've gotten feedback you know, just even in a short amount of time, like, wow, this was really needed. I've had anchors, like TV anchors and just journalists in general that I look up to say, thank you, Leslie, for doing something like this. And it's like, really? Like, you're thanking me? Wow, that's really cool. So, um, so yeah, it's just, it's this, this 
area that I just, I need, I felt like I needed to step up and help. You're doing well for one, you're doing a hell of a service for people that goes without saying it's in this kind of time period. And the monologue I did prior to us doing this interview kind of touches on this too, because we're all going through it right now. There's a lot of frustration. You mentioned it, a lot of pains. It is hard to turn some of this off, whether mm-hmm. you're anchoring, it doesn't make a difference if you're anchoring in Austin, Texas, if you're anchoring in Philadelphia, like I am, or there's people in New York city in Detroit or Los Angeles, we're all feeling this right now. Like there's a level of just heavy, I think is the best way to describe it. I, I was anchoring in Philly when all the riots jumped off last weekend, like mm-hmm. on air live. And I have to go into full breaking news, play by play mode. And I, I wasn't really mentally good until maybe last Thursday, perhaps wow. because I had to, we were, we were hitting it pretty hard. And this is a, this is a tough time for us. I know people are like, oh, poor media or whatever. They, they don't really understand what we deal with. No matter if you're a newspaper, TV, radio, whatever, you, you deal with it. For you, you, you mentioned that you were dealing with, at some point, some sort of mental health issues, too, from dealing mm-hmm. with this. What was that like for you? What were you dealing with? I was dealing, I think, same thing, with some of that anxiety and really not being able to turn it off. I did not get a diagnosis because, um, you know, it's no secret that in, when you're coming up through the journalism ranks, like there, you don't make money. And so for me, I could not afford a $90 counseling session, um, for one hour. And then, you know, with the promise of, okay, that's one, but you got to come in later next week. And, you know, I just, that wasn't something that was available to me, um, at the time. And so, I just, I knew that something was happening. I would, I would find myself angry or just really sad, um, not fulfilled at work, sometimes not even wanting to go to work. In fact, when I was, you know, earlier, I mentioned uh, being the crime reporter when I was working at that station, I applied to jobs outside of news. I was like, I am done with this. I am done with news. You've had, you've I, had it by that point. I can't. Yeah. And, and, and it felt just really daunting, really heavy. And I remember even just sending an application and I was like, Oh, I got excited. because I was <laughs> like, there's a light I'm getting out. Um, and, and that job didn't, didn't happen. Um, and so then, then you come back and you're like, well, why are people not hiring me outside of news? Maybe I'm just stuck in news. And I, I kind of just, took that as, you know, along with my yoga practices that I was doing, I was like, okay, there's something here. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm a spiritual believer. And so I believe that, you know, whether God or, you know, universe or whatever you believe in, I feel like everything is just supposed to happen the way it's supposed to happen. And for me, I was just trying to figure out how do I take this frustration that I'm feeling and how do I learn a lesson from it? And so my lesson from it was, okay, I'm dealing with a lot of stuff mentally. What is my lesson to learn here? And so that's when I, again, started digging back through and and trying to figure out, okay, where's this anxiety coming from? Okay, where's this stress coming from? And it all boiled down to, I just 
don't think I was feeling confident in myself, whether that was my own fault, whether it was, um, you know, maybe my managers weren't giving me support. Maybe it was a combination of all the things um, because we've all worked in toxic newsrooms and, and, you know, let's be honest, managers have a lot on their plates and they could always, you know, help and support a little bit extra. Um, and so I just, I really started digging into why am I feeling the way I'm feeling and how am I going to help myself get out of that? And, um, and so I just, I continued and, and dug and dug and dug and, and through yoga, figuring out, you know, okay, I don't believe in myself. How do I, how do I build that up? How do I start to believe in myself? And, you know, again, yoga has just, it, it's just helped me so much. I always, people always say, oh, I don't want to do yoga because I'm not flexible. And it's like, well, think about it this way. You don't start anything because you're already an expert at it. You know, you're not going to pick up a guitar and, you know, play like, like a genius, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's like, you're not going to, I always use sports as an example. You're not going to pick up a baseball bat and hit 350. You've got to work yourself up to it. You've got to learn. You got to learn how to hit, just like you got to learn how to play guitar. You have to learn how to how to edit audio. Everything comes in gradual stages. And so, you know, I just baby steps and baby steps, and and I just I was able to build up the confidence that I needed. I was able to, you know, realize that that I I am enough, and I don't need anybody else. Just like, um, you know, we, we are our own people. And, and I think learning that lesson, really, that self-confidence and knowing that you're enough. And as a journalist, your voice matters. That was another thing is, you know, there were, I was at a station where there were a lot of journalists who were winning, you know, awards and, and they were doing great things. And I was like, where do I fit into that puzzle? Like, how do I get that? And, um, and we all have, we all have a different voice as journalists. You know, I'm, I may not be, you know, the journalist that people will go to for city council budget stories. Um, but you come to me and, and ask me for a story on race relations and police. And I'm like, yes, that's my beat. I, you know, that's <laughs> what I've done. That's what I know. Let's do this. Um, and so everybody has, has a lane, has a voice. And if you're not great at one thing, that's okay. Either work at it or See where else you can find your voice to tell a story. So where did you initially find your voice to tell stories? Because kind of get a little bit, of, and also let's get a little bit of your background here. You're working in Austin, Texas, state capital of Texas. You're born and raised in Texas, but you're not from mm -hmm. Austin. You're from Dallas, Texas. Yeah. What was the first time you really felt like the storyteller in you was there? Because everybody has that moment when they kind of realize like, Hey, I can kind of do this journalist thing, or I'm really curious. What was the first time you realized that journalism could be your thing and storytelling is your thing? Well, I think in terms of knowing that I wanted to do journalism, it, <clears throat> I think for me, my storytelling voice didn't happen really until my first professional job in journalism. You know, I'd done the internships and everything, but it was just kind of like this thing that I had to do. Like, I just, you know, you have to do it because you did it in college and, and you know, you're doing the thing and it's great, but I didn't feel like I really made an impact in terms of journalism until my first job. And it was a story about 
um, so my first job was in Beaumont, Texas. That's um, in between, halfway between Houston and New Orleans. And people usually stop in Beaumont to get gas on the way to New Orleans. <laughs> so that's that, like one of those deep parts of South, the South Texas, like way down there, right in the Gulf. Oh yeah, Southeast Texas. Um, and so it's a big oil refinery town. And so there was, there was a refinery explosion and I, I wasn't able to follow up on this story because if anybody's covered oil and explosions and things like that, litigation is very slow and it takes a long time. So I never followed, by the time my job, my contract had come up to move, the story was still ongoing. I should go back and look, see what happened. But um, there was some sort of negligence and there was an explosion and there were several workers that were injured inside this oil refinery plant. And I remember speaking to one of the mothers of the workers and um, I actually, I'm still connected with her on Facebook to this day. Her name is Deborah Lee Creekmore. And every single day since that explosion, she still writes to her son on Facebook. Her son passed. Um, but during that time, you know, we told the story of this happened and I, and I kept in touch with her as, you know, her son got flown down to Houston to the burn hospital, Shriners Hospital down there and, um, and just telling her story and, and hearing her say just to thank me for being able to share her story so people could know what had happened inside of that refinery plant and and the oil executives in this case weren't being very forthcoming with information to the families they were um you know just they were not being very transparent with what was going on and she said you know she said i know it's kind of like a david versus goliath thing but she said you by you just sharing what's happening with my son it just means the world to me. And I just, I remember telling that story and it was just so like, wow, okay. Like this, this is what journalism is about. It's about sharing those stories when, when people's lives are at stake and, and, you know, big money doesn't want to talk. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I would say that that'd probably be the first time that I realized the impact of the voices we have. How old were you when you first thought about going into journalism? What drew you there? Because you ended up, like I said, you grew up in Dallas. You go to UT and you and University of Texas has a really good journalism program because I looked into it when I was going to grad school. I didn't know how I'd be able to make moving to Austin work. But I know UT has a great journalism program. What was it that kind of set, told you maybe when you were a teenager or whatever, this is what I want to do? Yeah, so I was sitting in a Spanish class. It was my freshman year of high school. And I was just, I was very shy and very quiet. And I was always a good student. Um, but if I wasn't in a class where I knew all of the kids in my class, um, but I was, I was quiet and, and I didn't like talk to anyone. I remember that day, it might've been like the middle of the week or something. And my Spanish teacher, Miss Forty, she said, Leslie, you have a great speaking voice. We were reading something. She said, you have a great speaking voice. You should try out for our high school newscast 
Hawkeye news. And I was just mortified that she had even said, <laughs> you know, that she'd even picked on me. And I was like, okay, you do, you do have a great voice. We, 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 would wel- we would welcome you into radio without an issue. You, you, were, you would fit perfectly in there. If I ever leave TV, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> but uh, so I remember she, she said this to me and I was like, okay, kind of ducking down. And she said, no, really, you should try out. We need more Latinas in news. And I just, you know, I said, okay, tucked it in the back of my mind, went on. And then that Friday, so the auditions were Saturday, and that Friday night, just I guess out of the blue, I was just like, you know, this teacher's right. I need to do this. And I asked my mom if she could drive me to the audition. Luckily, it was right around the corner from where we live. And I went into the audition, was a little nervous, and, um, you know, was waiting for the results, and posted the paper, walked up, and my name was up there, and um, Leslie Rangel was going to be the crime reporter for Hawkeye News. I guess that was really my first time being crime reporter, but back then the crimes were a little uh, uh, a little less grave. It was about, um, you know, locker room safety and how to keep your money and your tennis shoes safe in the locker room. So that was, you know, a lot of fun, but, um, but I continued and um, by the time I graduated high school, I knew, okay, I'm going to go into TV. I really wanted to go to Syracuse university. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, done all the studying and, and saw like the, the best broadcast journalism in the country. And, and so I applied and then I realized, well, I'm a good student, but not a super great student. So money wasn't talking. so so that's how I ended up at UT I was like you know what it's in the state I'm getting a few scholarships um it's right down the road they've got great journalism school as well I guess I'm gonna be a longhorn and that's how I made it to UT (laughs) it's a but that's a great story to tell though is just what led you there it sounds eerily similar to some of the things that happened with me going to Michigan state actually. Cause I, I was called out. I, this voice, this voice has followed me since I was 13 years old. So it's like, I get the <laughs> being called out for the voice and they put me on the student radio broadcast because Detroit used to have a radio station and, or the public schools had a radio station and every school would do like a different news update throughout the week. And my high schools was yeah. one of the magnet schools. And they said, well, Renaissance high school needs somebody to come do this. Well, what about you? What about that kid? The kid in the newspaper class with the big voice. And I looked around and I was like, I, I, I can't do this, even though secretly I wanted to do radio forever. And that was my oh. first shot. And it was the similar thing as that, well, I could go to Northwestern. I could go to Stanford, but I don't have Northwestern or Stanford money, but I love Michigan State University. So I'm going to go be a Spartan. And that's how that, that, worked, that worked out. It's that a lot of people don't see the parallels at times between what, what black people and brown people, Latinos of all different, because there's so many different kinds uh, from so many different people of of different heritages. We have a lot of the similar stories. Now, obviously Mm -hmm. yours is a little bit different from mine is that your first, your your first generation American, right? Yes. First generation American. Tell me about your family background and how, how it's been for you as a first generation U.S. citizen living in a very diverse culturally and everything diverse place in Texas. Yeah. Well, wow. How has it been? So 
here in the United States, um, family. So when I was younger, my parents divorced, and I guess you could say we're estranged from my real father's uh, side of the family. So on my mom's side, all of my family is back in Mexico, except for one cousin that I have in Michigan. And um, right. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so we, we, we don't ever get to, um, you know, see her and, um, and she's there. The rest of my family is in Mexico and my stepdad, um, our family on the stepdad, stepdad side, they're all in Guatemala. So we're it. It's me, my two younger sisters. I have a little nephew, my mom and my dad. And that's all that we have here in, in the United States. Um, and so that was interesting in terms of, you know, I going into school, I remember one of the first weeks that I was there because I also, I didn't mention this before, but I was in the Longhorn Band. Um, really? So I was, yeah. I Go played f- on the drum line. I was my little uh, toot, toot my horn. Um, <laughs> I was the only freshman in 2008 to make the drum line. I played cymbals. That's really so, cool. Yeah, it was a fun time. Uh, really time consuming, which is why I didn't continue. Um, but anywho, I was back, um, I w- I came to Austin early that summer because of band. We had summer band that we had to get ready for. And I remember seeing these girls who were like really dressed up, really, you know, beautiful, dressed to the nines. And they were walking all over campus. And I was like, what is, you know, did I miss the memo? Like these <laughs> girls are pristine. And I, I didn't know what that was. And, um, you know, you meet friends in college. Everybody's going to be your friend. I met a few girls. I was like, what are they doing? And they were like, oh, they're rushing. And I was like, huh? What? <laughs> like, like, they're late? Like, <laughs> what's going that's why on? That's why they're rushing because they're late. People are supposed to be going. I was like, what, what is that? And they were like, no, like, for it's, it's Greek week. And I was like, uh oh like like greek heritage i didn't know there was a greek community in austin they're like no 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 <laughs> like sororities i was like what's a sorority so i had no idea what that was um because you know in mexico they don't they don't have that they, they there's no such thing as fraternities and sororities so that was um an interesting concept to understand and you know you might be thinking well didn't you see it in like uh media growing up and things like that well I growing up I as the oldest um you know you take a lot of you take on a lot of responsibilities as the oldest especially if you're in an immigrant family and especially if it's uh Mexican-American you know I a lot of people always joke around they're like Leslie I can't believe you've seen this movie I can't believe you haven't seen that movie and I mean name a movie that's really popular culture that you think people should have watched and I probably haven't watched it and so I always like to uh inadvertently give little jabs at people and I'm like (laughs) no I didn't watch it because as a nine-year-old I was uh cooking dinner and making sure my sisters were doing homework because my mom was working three jobs so (laughs) sometimes then they feel awkward they're like oh but I mean it's just I just you know I just make a joke out of it but, uh, but yeah, it, it's been, it's been interesting. Um, and, and 
you mentioned that Austin is such a diverse place. And it is, but it isn't. Um, in fact, I wrote a paper on this when I was in college. Um, you know, Austin touts itself as the live music capital of the world. But I remember when I was in college in 2008, they didn't even have a Spanish language radio station. Um, in, like, in Texas, where yeah, they had. You would think, and maybe this is my being naive. I've only been in Texas very briefly on a layover when I was flying to the West Coast once. So I just was in and out of Houston within about two hours. I had always assumed that Texas, with its heavy Spanish-speaking population and obviously the ties to Mexico and everything else, I just assumed it was a given that there's a Spanish language station in every major city in Texas. Austin doesn't have one. Like the state capital with a major university there doesn't have one. Let me rephrase. It it, it has one, but it was the traditional, um, like traditional Mexican music. Like it, we call it banda, norteña. So what you, when you go into a taco shop and if we've got all of my brown people back there cooking uh, tacos and dinner for people and you hear that music, that, 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 you know, that kind of music. Yes, they had one station. Well, coming from Dallas, you know, we had like three, four, five stations that were like Spanish pop. Then you had the Spanish ballad station. Then you had like the banda station. Then you had like a a Spanish kind of news station. And unless I wasn't finding them, they weren't here. And then the only hip hop station that they had here in Austin at the time that I remember, um, it was... It wasn't really hip hop, like not like Dallas hip hop, you know, where they were playing, you know, actual hip hop. They were music. playing actual rap music. This was a lot different, right. it sounds like. Right. This was, you know, like they were playing Black Eyed Peas on the hip hop station here. And, oh boy. You know, and, and not like the early Black Eyed Peas before Fergie showed up and they, they stopped, they started yeah, being a pop was, group. Yeah, this was Fergie Pop, you know, and and I'm thinking like, where, 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 what? How is this the live music capital of the world? What is going on? So I wrote a whole paper on that, and uh, and I remember my teacher, she just kind of smiled at me and uh, didn't say much. Um, she was uh, later on, she was also my Latino policy professor, so. Uh, there was, there was a lot of things for us to uncover in terms of Austin's diversity. So, so yeah, it's, I don't know if I really answered your question, but yeah. And that's the thing about conversations like this. And a conversation like this is needed because we as people of color, and yes, I'm counting the black and the brown as a part of this, we need to talk about these things because we have a shared struggle, even if at times we don't want to acknowledge it. And Leslie's going to talk more about that as she goes into what it's like being Mexican-American in a time period where being Mexican-American has been very much vilified. We'll head into this break, but first things first, this music you hear underneath you is a new track from the homie Awesome Jones. He doesn't just make intro music, damn it. This is off of his new EP called Synthetic Sounds Volume 1. I don't know what the hell got into him. Maybe he was listening to a little bit too much V98.7 FM on YouTube or something. But this track is called Parcel of Stardust, and it is spectacular. You can get you can get Synthetic Sounds Volume 1 
on iTunes, on Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. You need to check this out right now. This track is Parcel of Stardust, and it'll take us into the break. This is the 114th episode of the People's Podcast. You're listening to J. Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio. We'll be back with more with Leslie Rangel after this. You're listening to the People's Podcast. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. This is JSC Radio. superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. You're listening to the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. This is the 114th episode of the People's Podcast. This is J. Scott Confidential, better known as J.S.C. Radio. Welcome back. J. Scott Smith here. Once again, thanking you all for supporting this show and everything that we do here. Of course, you hear the sounds of my man's Doc Illingsworth coming over your shoulder as we're going into this next part of this interview. Again, I want to thank each and every one of y'all who support us on the social medias. I'm on Twitter at J. Scott Smith, J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H. Same thing goes for Instagram, Real J. Scott Smith on Facebook, and we're JSC Radio across the board on social media. Be sure to drop a follow and show some support and some love to everybody who comes through on this show. We'll have Leslie's info coming up at the end of this thing, but let's get back into this. We pick things up with Leslie talking about being a reporter and being Mexican-American in a time period where being Mexican-American is, well, it's not always treated with the greatest amount of respect. She goes in depth on this, plus talks about what her feelings are having to be a journalist and also being Mexican-American and why she doesn't feel she has to totally separate the two. This is episode 114 of J. Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio. Let's get back to our conversation with Leslie Rangel, joining us from Austin, Texas. This is a presentation of JSC Media. (laughs) Give me a bit more insight. I will say this. It says, I'm just thinking, I'm also thinking along the lines of where we are in this country and where we've been, especially... Mm -hmm last three and a half, four years or so, it has not been the kindest place toward immigrants, people from immigrant families and particularly Spanish speaking immigrants more. So Mexicans are more, have been more vilified. I will just say wrongly. I won't say rightly wrongly vilified by a certain segment of this country for the better part of the last five years. And truth be told for years prior to that, I mean, we we've talked Mm -hmm. before where I just think about how, the issues with 
how black Americans right now and everything we're dealing with, with whether it's institutional racism, police brutality, we're dealing with issues with jobs and with poverty, all those issues also run into, into, into Latino communities too. Like all of them. It's, and it's comes from, and uh, like immigrant families and Latino communities are like the immigrant families and black communities where we have African immigrants who come into this country and deal with a lot of the same things. What has it been like for you being, being Mexican American last few years have not been good at all in terms of just the attitudes toward immigrants, particularly from Mexico. What's it been like for you both first personally, and then as a journalist where you're expected to keep some level of, and people who are watching the video will see me put these quote marks up, objectivity. Mm-hmm. I talked about that in the, uh, in the monologue too, but it's the, the idea of you having to be objective despite the fact that you see everything that's happening and experience it firsthand. Yeah. I think personally, it, you know, it, it's been difficult, um, you know, regardless of what political standings, you know, po- politics aside, just looking basically at humanity, it, it's been difficult. Um, you know, even with the border crisis, I think, you know, I think both Republicans and Democrats both recognize that there is a crisis at the border. And, and a lot of people want to help solve that issue however you know you think it needs to be solved but seeing those images of you know children um it even you know makes me emotional now thinking about those because you know who's to say that that couldn't have been me um my mom was pregnant (laughs) when she when she came over and um and by chance you know who knows what that timeline would have been? Who knows, you know, what if, what if she'd gone into labor as she was coming um, to the United States? Um, you know, albeit things were a little bit different 30 years ago in terms of crossing. So you didn't see there were people that were crossing that way, but, but a lot of times it's, it wasn't as dramatized right now because there are so many restrictions is why you see people crossing that way. And, and my mom has since become a United States citizen and, you know, she's very proud of that. But I just, you know, I, I think about these images, these children that are kept in these holding cells. A lot of people describe them as cages. Um, it, it's been difficult to see your, your people um, that, like that. And, and, you know, you mentioned somewhat the parallels to the black community. Um, you know, a black person is constantly seeing their people being brutalized. Um, and, and so I think the parallel there is same thing, brown people, we're seeing our people brutalized. And, um, and it's just, it's hard. It's hard to be able to separate yourself from that. Um, as, as a journalist. And then, you know, that kind of segues perfect into how, how you, how you separate it as a journalist. It's, it's hard. Um, and I think that's why even more so I've been able to hold on to yoga and what it has done for me because you're, you know, you're not allowed to say one way or another. A lot of times now social media has become this outlet of, 
of I feel something and I am going to write it on social media so everyone can know how I feel. We're not afforded the same opportunities as journalists because, I mean, it just, that's what naturally comes when, when we sign up to be journalists. You don't give an opinion one way or another. You give the facts and then that's what you give. And so in a lot of ways, and, and I've seen articles starting to come up on that. I um, shared a New York Times article that said, you know, younger journalists are basically saying enough. You cannot separate your human experience from what you're reporting. And exactly. I think that's really cool. And I think it's really powerful. And I'm really on board with that. I know I, you know, I haven't been in the industry for 20 years, like, like some folks. I'm not a super veteran journalist. Um, but I am coming up on 10 years in the industry. And, and I mean, I still remember at my first job where um, gay marriage was going through the Supreme Court. And I remember my manager saying, well, you're not going to find anybody in town that's gay that's going to be able to sh talk to you on camera. They're not going to talk to you. They're not going to talk to you about being gay. And I still remember I found a hair salon owner and he talked to me about being gay and, and what gay marriage would mean to him. And I remember coming back to my managers, like a huge grin being like, I did it. <laughs> found someone who's gay in Southeast Texas. And here's the story. And, um, and it was just, it was just really cool to be able to, um, you know, say I, I did something like that, but, you know, going back to, to the point of, just how much time has changed and how really, you know, the, these young journalists are, are fed up. And, and I think change is coming for, for not only society, but I think journalism too. It's, it's overdue. I mean, I haven't exactly been silent about that and we've, I've, I've had my issues with it and I'm, I'm not considered a quote young journalist. I've been in radio 15 years. I've been in media more than 20, which is crazy considering I'm only 40 years old, but it's like, I've seen a lot and I've been through a lot. And I think the thing that has really become evident, especially in the last few weeks with everything else that's gone on is this idea that if you are black or brown, you are disqualified from talking about race because you are quote unquote biased, which I've always found a very bizarre line of thinking. And honestly, it's a sort of a racist line of thinking because it's saying, okay, I can't talk about my own community because you suddenly don't trust my ethics. But yet that same benchmark isn't used for everybody else. You're not telling women, you're not allowed to cover women's issues because you're biased or you're not, it, it makes no sense. And I guess as a, as young journalists, there is a change coming because I've always felt that not only can we not be biased, we can tell stories with much more nuance because we get certain things. I mean, like I can tell a story from a black perspective or I can explain the black perspective to other people and they get it more. You could tell the story so much more of the Mexican, of like a Mexican experience, Mexican immigrant families experience than I could. You could, I mean, I could ask all the questions in the world and I can get the most rudimentary or basic idea and really add detail to it. But you can, come from so many different angles that most people can't think of. And I don't think people really get when they try to limit journalists of color, whether you're black or brown or Asian, when they try to limit that, they're missing so much. 
when they try to shut you out of that sort of thing. And I know that, especially the last, like I mentioned, last couple of years, I know there's so much insight. I'm sure you added to certain conversations because you can see that from not just the lens of a reporter, but you can actually explain why certain things are done and why that, or why people are coming to this country in that way, or what is it like for them or what the conditions were that caused them to leave everything. You can get that more so than just some random Johnny come lately who gets just, just parachutes into a story and has to start from square one. Most people have to start from, from, from first base. You're already at second base ahead of everybody else because you get it ahead of time. And I don't right. think people quite understand that now, or maybe they're right. starting to understand it because people are starting to be a, a whole hell of a lot more vocal about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even just, you know, you, we had, um, you know, we have these stories, for example, and it's, it's now more widely known, but when they were first coming up of like, um, well, immigrants aren't, why aren't they calling the police? Like if, if they need help, like they need to call the police. And, and I remember, you know, having these discussions, like, why aren't they calling the police? You know, something's wrong. You call the police. Well, first of all, you're, if, if you look back at what's happening in, in Latin American countries, in Mexico, in Guatemala, in Honduras, I mean, everything, police there, um, the level of cor- corruption that they face is just incredible. I mean, I, you could get pulled over for a speeding ticket, and, and oftentimes you just, you know, hand the officer some money and you're on your way. If you try to pull something like that here in the United States, you know, you're oh, probably going to jail. We already know what happens to, to black men during traffic stops in the United States, even without reaching for money. Jeez. And yeah. I, I've heard some of the stories about the police forces, the federales in Mexico and things of that nature, where it's mm-hmm. like, depending on the state of in, that you're in in Mexico, the police are maybe even worse than some of the criminals down there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you, so you've got that. Then you've got, this idea, you know, with, um, you know, just basically being deported, you know, this, this, this um, maybe misunderstanding in the Latino community, that there are local jurisdictions, and then there are the county jurisdictions, and then, you know, there are troopers. So it's just like, we've, we've had so many levels of, of what a police officer or law enforcement can be. And there's no, in the Latino community, oftentimes there's no differentiation of, oh, that's a local Austin police officer, or that's an AISB, um, you know, school district police officer, or, oh, that's ICE, and I'm, you know, going to get deported. And, and there's just a lot, there's just a lot of fear. Um, so, you know, just even just a basic notion of understanding of why, why they don't call police. Um, and, and there, I mean, there's so many more examples of, of just little nuances like that, little cultural things, um, you know, why, why it's hurtful um, to be called an illegal, you know, it, even in journalistic standards, um, you know, a lot of times they were saying illegals in, in copy and, and why that's so hurtful versus undocumented. Um, so yeah, just, you know, little nuances like that, that you, you as someone living and being a part of that community understand and hoping that others understand. You bring this up and I think it's a question that's worth asking. I'm, I'm, I'm black journalist. I mean, kind of obvious, been black my whole life. And mm-hmm. there are things that I know others could do better 
in covering our community and addressing where the parallel between the issues that the Latino community has a police, especially the immigrant community has a police and the black community has a police pretty similar, except we don't fear deportation unless of course you're an African immigrant or something, but you don't fear deportation, but you each fear violence from police in a different fashion. What is it that we need to do better as journalists? And I'm talking about all journalists, even the black journalists that what is it that we have to do better in understanding immigrant communities, the Spanish speaking communities, Latin, Latin American communities, what do we need to do better in terms of our understanding of covering community? We always talk about communities of color, but usually it only means black people. What is it that we need to do better in covering the, I guess the, the term is Latinx or whatever, the Latinx community, I think. I keep, <laughs> I never know how to pronounce that correctly. So yeah. covering that community and getting that right, sure. getting those stories right. You know, I think um, just like we're seeing right now with the black community and, and people not understanding where, where all of this anger is coming from. And so the suggestion is look back at the history, look at what, look at the history of what American, the American culture has done to the black community. I would say the same thing for the Latino community. I think just even having a basic understanding of why people are flocking to the United States. Yes, there are better opportunities. And, and for example, my mom, yes, she's an American citizen and she works for a school district and she loves being here in this country. However, if you were to tell her right now that she could go back to her home country in Mexico and have been afforded the exact same opportunities, she would go back in a heartbeat. Heck, I didn't, you know, I wasn't raised in, in Mexico, but to a certain extent, I, you know, still think like, oh, what would it, what would that be like to actually have family to be able to go, you know, visit my cousin or visit an uncle, um, you know, visit my grandma, you know, just things that I think are really taken for granted um, in, in the, in, that immigrants don't have access to, um, I think just really, again, looking at the history, seeing what, what is happening that is causing children, children that are 12 years old to hop on board, moving trains, knowing the risks of, you know, their legs being amputated, um, young girls knowing the risks of, you know, being sexually assaulted parents um, being willing to bring their children across deserts to risk, you know, drowning in a river. What is causing that, that desperation to still take those risks to try and come here? What is that? And I think when you begin to dig and, and learn about what's behind that, I think it gives you just a basic understanding and compassion of why it's happening and, and to maybe understand, you know, just even more on a compassionate level um, to be able to understand why, why the things are happening. Um, Cause you know, it, it, I, I, I'm somebody who can always see different viewpoints. And so I can understand why, why it would be difficult to um, think that maybe somebody was coming to take one of your jobs. Um, 
but if but if you look at the history uh, behind it and and also too with that if you really see how difficult it is to properly get the documents and and the process that it takes to get those documents to be able to come here legally i think that also too would be eye-opening to realize that it's not just as simple as you know you can go online and apply for your driver's license here but in in mexico um a lot of times they look at your family income and 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 things like that and so if you don't you know there's a whole lot of red tape attached to it to be able to even just get a permit to travel here which is part of the reason why you know my family doesn't travel here very much that is amazing to even think about just thinking about the visa process i've heard i've heard about that visa process for like some African immigrant friends of mine that I know that their family members maybe in Nigeria or Ghana have to go through. And th- and even that is a struggle for them. And everything mm-hmm. is so politically tied in these days with Mexico that I'm sure it's made to be even harder. When you think about all this, we almost go back to the original question I asked at the very start of this conversation about you being the news yogi and being in yoga. You're not just simply someone who does a few yoga poses, you, you've been certified to teach this. And yes. this is like mm-hmm. a second thing for you. In time periods like this, I know the phrase has very been overused. These are unprecedented times. If I hear that phrase one more time, I'm going to smash my head into a wall. But it's just like the, these are, this time period, these last really three, three and a half months has been so crazy. How what would you suggest to people, especially those of us in this practice, whether you're TV, radio, print, uh, whatever, what would you suggest for us if we're trying to release some of this? Because it's heavy. This is a weight we carry. This is before the stuff with George Floyd and, and Ahmaud Arbery and everything else. This is a heavy weight we carry anyway. How would you recommend a journalist who's been putting in a lot of hours, irregular hours, really covering some heavy things. What would you say to someone who's like, what can I do to kind of help ease some of this pressure and some of this stress that I've got on me? Yeah, I think first of all, I know it's hard. It's been hard for me, but you've got to unplug. You've got to realize that, yes, the sky is falling, but Yes, we can unplug for a moment from the sky falling right now. Um, is you know, phones nowadays they've got the do not disturb. Use it, and and you know, some people may have the misconception of like, oh, but I'm a journalist and I have to know what's going on and and blah, blah, blah. But if you work, you know, you work in a newsroom and there are days where other reporters are on call. Um, there are days where it's not your on-call weekend. And if it's not your on-call weekend, use that, take it. Um, be with family, just being with loved ones. And, and I say family, you know, if you don't have family, be with friends, um, anybody out there who, who you can just spend some time with. And also, um, I, I meditate every single night um, and it's, it's how I can sleep really. Um, and, and I think just the power of meditation, a lot of people will sometimes think like meditating and, and you probably have this image of like someone sitting in the middle of a room, you know, 
with uh, the mudra, eyes closed, you're sitting up straight. But that doesn't all, you know, meditation can present itself in many ways. Um, you know, just getting your mind off of this constant coverage. Um, when a, you know, meditating can be just taking a walk outside and really noticing nature going outside and, and looking at a tree, like just look at it and just be curious and notice. And, um, you know, sometimes it's cool, you know, if it's a really big tree, you know, think about how long that tree has been there, how, how many years. Um, so that's, you know, that's one way. Another way is by doing things that we're, we're not experts in. Um, so I, I love cooking and, and I am not an expert in it, but I love it and I enjoy it. You know, just finding little ways to really unplug. Um, I would also say, um, you know, if you can work out, working out is always a great thing, you know, endorphins, um, make you happy. <laughs> and then, um, and then, you know, again, I go back to yoga because yoga, yoga is just different in terms of what it does for, for your inner self. Um, if that makes sense, it's, it's not about like, Oh, can I touch my toes? Can I not? It's more about just finding and knowing that you have the power within, um, know that things are going to be okay and and a lot of times I think that's what just people in general constantly are searching for like I need someone to tell me it's going to be okay I need you know if you look inside all you really need is yourself you just need yourself to say you know what you're doing enough you are enough with what you've been given and you're trying your best and once you really like really really believe that you are enough I think, I think it just does wonders for how you're able to carry yourself in the world as a professional, as a human, as you know, a brother, sister, mom, dad, friend, significant other, because there's just nothing like knowing and really believing that. What was it like for you getting certified to do yoga? Oh, <laughs> that was an emotional experience. <laughs> <laughs> you learn a lot about yourself um, doing yoga. Um, kind of same thing. It, it's almost like it's almost like this. Um, you know, I so I'm 500 hours. My first um, my first yoga program or yoga school. I don't know why it's not coming to me. My yoga training. <laughs> my first yoga training was a 200 hour training in uh, Norman, Oklahoma the home of the University of Oklahoma, the Sooners. Okay, the Sooners. Yes, indeed. I've had, I've had one previous guest on this podcast, Brooke Thomas, who is an alumnus of the University of Oklahoma. So now I've had a Sooner and a Longhorn come through here on the oh, show. Oh, man. <laughs> well, the funny thing is people will give me a hard time because I'm like, you know, for me, Oklahoma was this crazy spiritual awakening. And, and you would think like Oklahoma, a spiritual awakening what on earth and and it really was it really um you know going through that training I learned a lot about myself I learned a lot about same thing you know the power of self-confidence um I learned a lot about just basic 
human yoga psychology um, of being able to kind of, I don't want to get too woo-woo on you. <laughs> I'll go for it. <laughs> but, but, you know, being able, I think a lot of times there, there's, um, you know, likely you've heard the quote or some variation of the quote, um, to be is silent. And there's so much truth in that. And, and it's interesting, especially in this time right now, because you're, you know, a lot of people are saying, now is not the time to be silent. Now is not the time to be silent. Um, and in a lot of ways, they are um, correct. But, but how did we get here? If you think about it, it's almost like the universe as a whole with the pandemic said silence. It was like we were all in this place of always being attached to our phones, of always, you know, I have countless friends that I made excuses for not seeing, you know, right before the pandemic, like, oh, I'm too busy. Oh, it's my birthday weekend. Oh, I'm going to be out of town. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. Never really making time for people. Then we saw during the pandemic, all of a sudden, like, all these new connections starting started popping up. And who cares? You know, no one cared about work. I mean, kids stopped going to school for heaven's sake. Like, it was just the whole world came to a halt. And there was this silence. And, and with this silence, then came this like unveiling, unmasking of what is happening. And, and people started to pay attention to that. And, and, and I believe, you know, now it's, it's probably why so many people right now are paying attention to what's happening because we were forced to be silent and, and now, you know, then, then, okay. Yeah. Now is not the time to be silent. It's like, okay, we, we went through that and here we are. And so in a lot of ways, kind of what yoga teaches you, it, it teaches you to be with yourself. It teaches you to be with your breath um, and, and to be in that silence. And, to, you know, like me, I figured out, okay, I was getting frustrated and burnt out with work and angry and upset. And, and, you know, there was all this chatter, like just mental chatter, news, you know, the constant news chatter. And when I did yoga, it, it was just like, okay, I have to be silent and really pay attention to why I'm feeling this way. What are these things that are coming up and what's at the root of that? And then when I, when I found out, it was like, oh, okay, hmm. now I know. And, and so, yeah, it's just kind of this unveiling of, of, of what's happening in your life. What, what are we doing as people? How are we living our lives? And, um, and you know, ultimately, it, it made me a better journalist. It made me really stop kind of chasing, like, the, the stress of, ah, I don't have a story idea. It made me really focus on what are the problems happening in humanity that we need to tell as storytellers. And, and if I'm, you know, looking at a city council agenda, okay, you know, I'm not, I'm no longer looking at it as like anxiety. Oh my God, when am I going to turn? I'm looking at it as like, what here are the problems that we need to address that we as storytellers can help tell. So. And how to be able to convey them. You, you have, you have such a peaceful vibe to you. Like, it seems like there's a lot of, a lot of balance there. It's hard for me to imagine you being angry and super frustrated, but I know it happens to all of us. You've been able to maintain that through all this, even though I'm sure there are points at times where things get to you. Everything, everyone has at least one point where something gets to us. 
how has it been like at when you're working and you started doing more of the yoke the the uh the news yogi how, how do your co-workers like either know about do they come to you for advice like how does that work um they haven't come to me for too much advice we've we've been in this COVID-19 so right now my newsroom is still not all together we are you know a lot of us are working from home we've only got a certain number of anchors in in the newsroom but, um, but kind of same thing, you know, I, I've had some coworkers say like, thanks so much for doing this. Or um, we had our weekend crew, kind of similar story, you know, the, the weekend where everything, you know, just kind of the bottle exploded. There were, we had some younger journalists who were covering and this was their first, you know, instance of covering a breaking news situation like this. So afterwards, one of the um, reporters messaged me and said, hey, I did one of your videos that you posted, and I didn't realize I had so much stress in my shoulders. And, and it go, kind of goes to the fact of, like, to be silent, you don't realize things until you really start to pay attention or until it, it's built up so much that you're like, what's, you know, what's going on? And, and so I think, um, you know, that's been really cool to just hear people notice these things in their bodies um, when they may not have otherwise, you know, maybe, maybe she didn't, maybe she wouldn't have realized and she would have kept going and going and going and, and eventually, you know, that stress is there. And so how is that accumulating in your body? And, um, you know, it's going to manifest itself some way or another. And, and it's just a matter of, you know, how long and how much is your body willing to endure? So what's next for the news yogi? What's next for the new Yogi? Well, um, I am, I'm trying to get as many people to hear about the news Yogi as I can. So if you're listening to this podcast, look me up um, and share it with friends. Uh, right now, you know, all of, all of my content is free right now. Um, I, I would like to eventually maybe build some sort of a course to go along with the news yogi. Um, I don't know what that looks like or what it would be like. I um, would also love to teach yoga to journalists at conferences. If there's anyone out there planning a journalism conference, <laughs> let me know. I'd love to teach yoga. Um, but for the immediate, I, um, you know, I'm working with, uh, I'm in touch with someone at IRE, Investigative Reporters and Editors, and I'm writing just a quick little write-up on, um, suggestions for meditation for a mental health newsletter. Um, and, and if, you know, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, if you don't jive with the news yogi, that's okay too. You know, and, you know, not everybody has to jive with something, but I would suggest, you know, find, find yoga instructors in your area, or maybe even just somebody that resonates with you a little bit more. Um, Cause it's just, it's so, it's so beneficial um, what yoga can do for us. And I just, you know, I just think if everyone in, you know, on earth could do yoga in some form, and I'm not talking about the crazy arm balance stuff. I'm talking <laughs> about just yoga in terms of just being able to sit and, and meditate and, and just notice things that are happening in your body. Like, wow, what, what would, what would, you know, earth be like? So how can people reach you yeah. and get to, and so get to see more of what you're doing? Yeah, I'm at the News Yogi. That's on Facebook, Instagram. The News Yogi doesn't have a Twitter yet. 
I am still, I don't know if she'll have a Twitter. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but she has a YouTube, uh, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at the News Yogi. Or you could just email me at the News Yogi at gmail.com. News Yogi at gmail.com. And what I'll also do is I will create a, a bit.ly link for your YouTube and put that in the description of this, of, of this podcast to make sure people can go directly to it because I checked out a couple of your videos. At one point in time, I used to go to a lot more yoga classes. Obviously, can't do that at all now because of COVID, but if you're able to do yeah. that, even if it's at home, even for a few minutes, it's really needed and it's really necessary because we all got to have a little bit of peace, <laughs> at least something, yeah. at least to relieve some of the stress there. I, I will thank you once again, Leslie Rangel, for coming on. JSC Radio, in the midst of everything that we've got going on here, I really appreciate you taking some time to talk to me and really give people a lot more insight into who you are. Because I know when I first saw you, I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And just kind of see, <laughs> I knew immediately, it's like, okay, she knows what she's doing. She knows what she's talking about. She's really good. That's another thing. And also, if you're in Austin, Texas, obviously, you can see her on Fox 7 in Austin, Texas. Uh, you're the morning anchor there. I am. I'm one of the morning anchors here in town. If you're more interested in my news side, uh, Les Rangel on Fox 7. And I always try to make everything I post uh, bite size. So, you know, don't expect like long 15, 30, 90 minute <laughs> yogas. Like I, I do short stuff like commercial break yoga. Like what can you do in five minutes or less? That you can get in and get out and get it done. Leslie Rangel, thank you so much for coming on this podcast with me, coming on JSC Radio, J. Scott Confidential. And obviously the best, the best of luck to you. I'm certainly going to try to do more yoga. I got to get myself a little bit <laughs> more back in line after everything that's been going on the last few months too. So this is yeah. really cool. Joining us from Austin, Texas. Thank you so much for coming on J. Scott Confidential. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate it. And there you have it. Another one of these mother in the books. Thank you so much, Leslie Rangel, for coming on this podcast, joining us. Remember, you can follow her on social media at The News Yogi. She's also The News Yogi on Instagram. And I have a link to her YouTube page in the description. It's bit.ly slash newsyogitube. Again, bit.ly slash newsyogitube. Tell her that J. Scott Smith sent you ass. Now, before we go, Right before I started recording this, in the midst of everything else, because all these companies that have been just dropping pretty much all these statements about how they're against racism, they're anti-racist, they hate racism and everything else. One organization that had come under fire the last couple of days was NASCAR. If you recall, in episode 94 of this podcast, we broadcast from the Daytona 500, the 2019 Daytona 500. And I spoke with Bubba Wallace, who came in second in 2018. Prior to last week's race, Bubba wore a shirt that said Black Lives Matter and I can't breathe. After an interview, he said he would love to see the Confederate flag gone from NASCAR. I spoke with Steve Phelps, the president of NASCAR, when I was out there last year at the 500. And he said he's got to figure out a way to get rid of the Confederate flag without offending their longtime fans. Well, just prior to starting this recording, NASCAR banned the Confederate flag at all their events. Ain't that some that JSC Radio was on the forefront of some of that. 
Thank you so much for supporting the show. Thank you so much for everything. Episode 115 is going to be coming up in a couple of weeks. Until then, take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pets spayed or neutered. Remember to adopt. Don't shop. And we are out of here. Again, episode 115 will be coming at you in a couple weeks. Be on the lookout for the video showing up on the YouTube page and on IGTV. Until next time, goodbye, everybody. You're listening to The People's Podcast. Hope is not a goddamn strategy. This is JSC Radio. This is a presentation of JSC Media. I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.